This summer, Coors Light wants you to retire, even if it's only temporary. Take a break from your nine to five for nine holes of golf. Trade those spreadsheets for a bingo card. Or swap your office chair for a water aerobics floaty. This summer, welcome to temporary retirement. Coors Light, made to chill. Copyright 2023, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. I know it hurts. I know it stings. I know any time a coach leaves... It sucks. And you know what? I've often had this conversation with coaches themselves. When they arrive to town, and I've covered a ton of them since my time really early in my career covering the Big Ten Conference and then later covering uh, the Pac-10 and the NFL, Major League Baseball, and getting to the state of Oregon for the last 20 years where I've seen coaches come and go. I've had this conversation. I know how it ends for most coaches. For most coaches, it ends badly. Either they get fired and they're walking out of the building with a cardboard box, lamenting what they could have done better, or they leave to go to another job in the middle of the night, and it's dicey. I mean, you look you look back at the coaches that have left jobs here in the state of Oregon. Rich Brooks goes to the NFL, gets fired. Chip Kelly goes to the NFL, gets fired, gets fired, goes to UCLA. He's in trouble there. Willie Taggart leaves Oregon, goes to Florida State, gets fired. Mario Cristobal leaves Oregon, mixed bag at best at Miami, struggling. It it either ends that way or with a firing themselves or best case scenario, like Mike Bellotti gets to call his shot and kind of retire and play some golf. I mean, is that as good as it gets? Like, there's a lot of bad endings. I had those choose-your-own-adventure books when I was a kid. A lot of the endings for coaches are not good endings. Page 112, oh, they're drowning. Page 114, there's a shark attack. Jonathan Smith leaves Oregon State, and I wanted to open the show today just by saying the doctor's in. Call in. Give me your reaction. Tell me how angry you are about it, how you feel jilted about it, what you think of it. Do you blame the guy? Do you not blame the guy? There's a swirl of emotion that has taken place since Friday and the Civil War football game that Oregon won. A lot of Oregon State fans are upset. A lot of Oregon State fans are resentful. They're angry. Jonathan Smith uh, being introduced at Michigan State and saying some of the wrong things. Uh, He was asked about his impressions, uh, his early impressions. What's been your long vision of Michigan State from a distance? Look, I want to grow, uh, dive into it and learn about the place, and I'm anxious to do that. But we want to compete and win at the biggest level. What's your opening message to Spartan fans? I'm excited to be here. We're ready to go to work. Um, this is a special place. I'm anxious to learn about it. Special place, just like you said, Oregon State was a special place. Coaching at your alma mater, and, and that, of course, is a place that means a whole lot to you in Oregon State, going through a lot conference realignment going on and, and they don't really have a place right now how tough was it to leave Oregon State behind yeah uh, 
that place means a ton, no question. These things aren't always easy. I go back to the timing and the and the fit. I wasn't going to just abandon a place. I wanted to be going to a place. Um, and so the, the, I go back to the conversations, um, learning more and more about Michigan State. This felt like the right timing, the right fit for me. Right time, right fit for Jonathan Smith. I want your phone calls, 503-417-7575. What do you make of it? Is there anything he could have said that would make you feel better? I spoke with Scott Barnes, the athletic director at Oregon State, this morning. I did about a 20-minute interview with Barnes. You're going to hear it all coming up at 4 o'clock. I'm going to play it in its entirety. I've written a little bit about it at johnconzano.com, but Oregon State now scrambling. Glenn Sugiyama is leading the search. His firm is Chicago-based. He was on a plane last night leaving Chicago, headed to the Pacific Northwest. He's on the ground in Corvallis already today, and that search is well underway. I'm told that Oregon State has already interviewed Trent Bray, the defensive coordinator, and uh, you know they kind of know who he is. And I'm going to tell you a few things that I think are important to this search before we get too deep into the show today. Oregon State knows it has to scramble. Oregon State knows that December 4th is the transfer portal opening. That is kind of the the uh, target date where everything has to be in place. You have to know who you're playing in 2024. You have to know what you're doing this season. You have to know who your coach is. You need to know who you have coming back. You need to have a real handle on things come Monday, December 4th when that portal opens. And so Oregon State knows it has to scramble this week. It's going to have to hire a coach or at least agree in principle and have a handshake and a, you know his name on a dotted line uh, before the end of the week because you're going to have to go into the weekend with this coach able to recruit, able to tell current players, hey, here's what's going on, talk to Damian Martinez, talk to uh, Aiden Childs, talk to some of the other players on the Oregon State roster and try to sell them on the vision at Oregon State. Uh, and, you know, I think for that reason, first bullet point here, Oregon State's going to have to hire somebody it knows. It has to have that immediate familiarity. It has to have somebody that it knows and somebody that knows it. So I think you're going to see uh, the candidates that I kind of laid out over the weekend at johnconzano.com where Trent Bray, the existing defensive coordinator, is getting a lot of support. In the last uh, 12 hours or so, there's been a little bit of cooling on Bray. I'll tell you more what I know about that. Certainly, uh, Scott Barnes talked about him in our interview. You'll hear it coming up at 4 o'clock. But, you know, you've got Trent Bray, the defensive coordinator, who Oregon State knows. He knows Oregon State. He knows the challenges. He is candidate one in my mind. Candidate two, Brent Brennan, head coach San Jose State. Also a guy who's coached at Oregon State, whose staff is filled with Oregon State products. Guys like Lyle Moivau, who played quarterback at Oregon State, now coaching and working as an analyst on Brennan's staff. You've got uh, you know Joe Samalo, the uh, defensive line coach. His kid Isaac played at Oregon State. Samalo knows Oregon State. He's coached there. You've got a whole bunch of assistant coaches on Brennan's staff at San Jose State who have been around Oregon State, who know the landscape. Keep an eye on Brennan as candidate two. Candidate three, a guy like Paul Chris, the uh, former Wisconsin coach. Of course, there are some knocks on him. He is now currently at Texas working as an analyst. I don't know, is he a head coach? Is he an offensive coordinator? You tell me. But I kind of also wonder, like, you know, 
from a standpoint of fallback guys, if he is choice three on the board right now, that's not a bad position to be in if you're Oregon State, given where you know you don't have a conference, you don't have a schedule for next year yet, not one publicly anyway. So you have some issues there if you're Oregon State. Beyond that, I think there's some interesting outlier candidates, I think, that will get some run in this search. But I expect that Oregon State will move quickly. It will go with something it knows. It will go with a person that knows it. And the question then becomes, is Trent Bray enough? Will he get the job done? Is Brent Brennan enough if he is the pick to sell uh, the current players on, on not getting into the portal? And also, is that enough to help you win next year? Uh, I'll ask Barnes, and you'll hear our talk about the schedule coming up. He gets into that. He talks about the number of Power Five teams they want to play, how much uh, you know, how much ink is dry versus how much ink is not dry on the contracts. You know, I expect that they're going to be able to tell their prospective coaches here in the meetings and interviews that they're doing today. They've got interviews stacked up today. Scott Barnes told me, as they do these interviews, they're going to be able to tell prospective coaches, "Hey, here's who we're playing." We're going to play six games against group of five schools from the Mountain West. Then we're going to play five games against Power Five conference teams that you know we've gone out and secured dates with. Is the Civil War part of that to be determined? But I want your phone calls. I want you to tell me what you make of Jonathan Smith's departure. Are you upset by it? Do you understand it? And what should Oregon State do now? 503-417-7575. Let's go right out to the phone lines. Kevin's in Portland. Kevin, what's on your mind? Yeah, hey, John. Um, I'm just bummed to hear that Smith dipped out the way he did. I mean, I can't blame the guy trying to move over, getting the money, you know, moving to the, the Big Ten, doing all that. But just right after the Oregon game, after we got our teeth kicked, I mean, it, it just didn't seem like there was a ton going on there. It was just stagnant the whole game. And, you know, it, it seems like our last lifeline with everything going on with all this realignment and stuff. So it's just so frustrating to have, you know, gut punch after gut punch and then go out like this at the end of the year. Totally. And I understand, like, from Oregon State's standpoint, I appreciate that call, Kevin. From Oregon State's standpoint, I think a lot of the Beavers fans feel that they have just been raked over the coals. And I have heard this sentiment over and over from friends of mine who root for Oregon State, readers of mine who root for Oregon State, even from my own kid who goes to Oregon State. You know, she went to the Civil War football game, and I think she went to that game, bought a ticket, and felt like she was going to watch Oregon State, like, lay it out all in the field. And, you know, on the drive home, she was really quiet. And then she asked me subsequently about, you know, what's going on with Jonathan Smith and, you know, you know, and I'm having to explain it to her, and it's a painful conversation, and you've lived it as an Oregon State fan. You got ditched by the Pac-12 conference, the 10 departing schools left, and it's no fault of your own if you're Oregon State. You have you know, a, a, a murky schedule for 2024, and, and all along you probably just said to yourself, or maybe what helped you was, hey, at least you have a stadium, brand new stadium got finished, and at least you have Jonathan Smith. And he understands it. He's a guy that can be, you know, it could be him against the world, and, and he'll figure it out. Well, Jonathan Smith surveyed the landscape and went, eh, I'm out of here. And that's painful. And I think it does bring up a lot of bad feelings from the, uh, the you know, back in August when Oregon and Washington left and USC and UCLA left in the July before. And, and so I think there's a lot of, you know, sort of the drumming up of bad feelings that's going on with fans of Oregon State. I don't blame you one bit for feeling the way you feel. Tom's in southwest Portland. Tom, go ahead. 
Yeah, John, I think that, you know, we're getting the fanatics, and I know we're all fans, but it's really we're fanatics. And, you know, Oregon State will survive, and Oregon State will rise through this. Uh, this is our alma mater. This is our organization. Um, and, yeah, these are tough times, but that's when the tough get going. And, you know, I support the Beavers 100%. I also think that Jonathan Smith was in a house of cards that was falling all around him. This is a talented, talented young man who did nothing but bring grace and um, strength to Oregon State. I don't fault Jonathan for anything that he did. I wish him only the best, whatever the next step is for him. And I think we're just going to continue to see Jonathan Smith rise. Yeah, I, I I look at Jonathan Smith. I appreciate that. And, you know, I'll tell Michigan State they're getting a good football coach. I also think Jonathan Smith could have helped a little bit if he had chosen his words more carefully. He got off the plane at Michigan State. He starts talking about, you know, uh, you know Michigan State being the special place. And, and he goes on the Big Ten Network and... You know, he, he makes the comment, I, I didn't want to be, like, ditching a place. I wanted to be running to a place. Like, I know what he means, but I think Jonathan Smith needs somebody to help him and be like, hey, this is what you're actually saying. You're basically saying you ditched Oregon State for a better opportunity. Take a moment as a alum of Oregon State, the place that gave you your first coaching job, take a moment to look back and go, hey, my time there would have all, will always be special to me. I, I just had to do what was best for myself and my family. Like most people can relate to the dilemma of having to do something painful that benefits the family or the bigger picture. Like people can relate to that. I think Jonathan Smith, who I invited on today's show, did not hear back from him. I think he could help himself a little bit. Jay is calling in from Florida. Jay, what's on your mind? Yeah, I have two comments. I don't live uh, in Oregon. I'm not an Oregon State or an Oregon alum. I'm a University of Miami alum. First comment, Mario Cristobal will win at Miami. He'll bring us back and win a national championship. I believe that. It's going to take another year or two, maybe three. By five years, he'll get it done. And Jonathan Smith, if he really loved Oregon State that much, why did he leave? He's getting $5 million. He's not going to win at Michigan State. He has to recruit against Michigan Penn State and Ohio State, he would have had a better chance to win at Oregon State. I think he made a mistake, and I think in five years he'll regret it. That's my comments. Yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't doubt that you're going to end up right about that because I think Michigan State is about the fifth-best job, sixth-best job in the New World Big Ten Conference at best. And I don't, I don't see Michigan State in the playoff with any kind of frequency, unless I have the 12-team playoff figured wrong. Because I think you're going to have Ohio State, Michigan, you're going to have Oregon and Washington, you're going to have USC certainly in there, you're going to have Penn State in there, and then in that next tier, here comes Michigan State. And so, you know, I, I think he's going to be fighting for scraps. But I also don't blame him because I look at what he was facing and I go, look, this is a really challenging op you know, obstacle that's sitting in front of you. You're going to be playing a conference schedule without a home for a couple of years. And, hey, Jonathan, go continue to be great and win games. Punch your way into the playoff. This, you know, your job, your job security has never been better. 
Your status as a head coach on the open market has never been more valuable. His agent's going to be in his ear telling him, you need to get out. You need to go now. You have opportunities. You've got Michigan State all over you. And you're going to hear from Scott Barnes that it was five or six weeks ago that Michigan State really started to make overtures. And you remember, I was on this show about that time saying Oregon State needs to get a contract in front of Jonathan Smith. Well, Scott Barnes told me in the interview that you'll hear at 4 o'clock that, that Oregon State, in fact, put a contract in front of Jonathan Smith, and he chose not to sign it. I don't know what you can do at that point. I don't blame Oregon State. I don't blame Jonathan Smith. I think it's just a crappy circumstance, and he ended up doing what was best for himself. Let's go to Roy, who's in Portland. It opens a line at 503-417-7575. Roy, go ahead. Hey, John. Um, you know, Jonathan Smith, man, he did, he did everything he could for for Oregon State. He was a player that was a champion at Oregon State. He was a heck of a coach at Oregon State. He's a young coach. Oregon State is not – to all the Oregon State fans, you're a Mountain West school. You're not – I don't want to hear about the Pac-2. I don't want to hear about anything. You are now – unfortunately, the circumstances, you're a Mountain West school. I don't care what you think about your school. I'm talking about reality. The reality is you are a Mountain West school – along with Washington State, what used to be, all this stuff, you got to get out your mind what, the, what it used to be. That's over. That is over. There is no more Pac-12. Oregon State is not a Pac-12 team. It's not a top five, uh, top conference team. You are a Mountain West team, and it's over with. And Jonathan Smith looked at it and said the same thing. I think people have in their mind what they want to think about. No, the reality is there is no more Pac-12, and Oregon State is a Mountain West school now. And he does. He, he he's not going to sit around and compete in the Mountain West and wait that maybe this job will come open or maybe that job. He owes it to his coaching career and his family to to move his coaching career forward. I mean, Michigan State is a great school. Mark uh, D'Antonio had them in the college playoff a couple years ago. What was that 2015, 2016? You can win there. Everybody's not going to go to Michigan and Ohio State. You can get a lot of players out of Michigan. You can get a lot of players out of Ohio, a lot of players out of Pennsylvania. D'Antonio had that program rolling pretty good. They beat they were beating, They beat Harbaugh a couple of times in Michigan. They've beaten Ohio State. They've beaten Penn State. With, with the way that he's a coach, he can get that program rolling. I think that was a great move for him. I think he's in a Big Ten school. He's at, he's, you know, he's uh, – I think Michigan is the top. Michigan State is the top half of the Big Ten. I think that's a great program, great alumni uh, base, great fans, and lesson. You know, Michigan. I, I think that'll be that's a great move for him. But I don't know why people are thinking um, he's not going to win. He's a, to me. I said all along, John. The guy is a superstar coach. I judge a coach when he has nothing, and yeah. he makes something out of nothing. To me, that's a coach. So when he does get great players. He's going to be even better, and I've and I've always thought that about Jonathan Smith. He he's he's a superstar, and I do think he's going to win and beat Michigan and beat the Ohio State. But it was just his time. It's just his time. There's nothing Oregon State can, Oregon State can do because I don't think I'm not optimistic about Oregon State in a while. I think he's going to be in the Mountain West for a long time. I don't see. I, I mean, I don't see any. You you offer nothing to a big a big-time uh, conference. And I'm sorry, you, you, you are more 
Oregon State and Washington State is more than aligned to me to, uh, with Colorado State, with UNLV, with San Diego State and Boise State. What's the difference between Colorado State, uh, the community of Colorado State, what is it, Colorado Springs and, Fort, and, and Fort Corvallis? Collins. Fort Collins, yeah. Fort, Fort, Fort Collins yeah. And, and Corvallis or Fort Collins and, and Polk. Well, what's the, the difference between, what's the difference between Oregon and Oregon State? What a difference between Oregon and Oregon like, State. You're talking about that, it, it's brand. It's brand. It's investment in football. It's Phil Knight. It's, you know, as Pat Kilkenny, the former Oregon athletic director, has been prone to say, if not for Phil Knight, Oregon would be in the same soup as Oregon State. Um, you know, because Eugene is not going to move the needle any more than Corvallis. But the difference is brand. And so I do disagree. Like, I get what Roy's saying. There's a reality to what Oregon State is having to deal with. It doesn't mean they have to accept it. It doesn't mean they have to accept relegation. Now, Scott Barnes, when you hear him at 4 o'clock, is going to talk about continuing to fund as a Power 5 conference. Can't, that's why winning this lawsuit that will be decided this week and getting the finality on that is important to Washington State and Oregon State because what they can say is, hey, we don't want to play Mountain West schools. We want to play Power 5 schools. We want to... You know, be an independent and try to survive until college football may has another round of sort of reorganization. And, you know, at that point, can they join the fray? Will there be room for them? I don't know. But it is going to be a fight for whoever they hire. I want more of your phone calls. I said the doctor is in. Remember that from the Peanuts? Uh, you can call in at 503-417-7575. Jonathan Smith off to Michigan State, Oregon State, off looking for its next coach. How soon will they hire a coach? I'm into this. I'm into the story. I'm into the drama. I'm into the obstacles. I'm into the questions, the emotions. I think this is going to be a very interesting time in Oregon State's history, a very narrow path you might say, for Oregon State with not very much margin. They have no margins. They have no schedule. They're uh, you know, not an official one, at least, and they're looking to reveal their schedule later this week. They are uh, also looking for a head coach, uh, and they're watching Jonathan Smith, uh, the guy who took them to the Fiesta Bowl, go off to some other school. It hurts. And I want to hear from you at 503-417-7575. Meanwhile, Oregon getting ready to play Washington in Vegas. In the Pac-12 championship game, the ribs of Michael Penix Jr., a question. Point spread, 9.5 points. Oregon is favored by. I'm not surprised by that number, and I think Oregon will uh, cover that spread. I think Oregon is going to beat the pants off Washington. I'll tell you why I think that later in the show. Let's go right back to the phone lines. Mark is in Portland. Mark, what do you make of all this? John, hey, thanks for taking my call. I say good riddance to John. I mean, he, had, he he didn't win a single big game. He had every chance to win, and they should have never lost to uh, Oregon in that fashion. That's a team that wasn't being motivated. That's a darn good roster there in Oregon State, and to lose in that fashion, that's a that's on the coach. He's not motivating that team properly. So let him go. I think they can do better than him anyhow. He didn't have one single big win this year, and he lost to Washington State, just like you said. So I'm with you. I think they can do better. And I'm, I'm more concerned about how, you know, how are they going to compete? What's their path to the college football playoff? That's my main concern at this point. 
not really who the coach is going to be. I think yeah. they can do better than John. Right. Here's the path to the college football playoff if you're Oregon State. You uh, you know that the group of five gets an automatic, uh, you know, birth to the team that is the highest ranked group of five team. I believe Oregon State and Washington State will classify as group of five schools. And so, you know, you you look around the group of five and you go, okay, who has a thirty-eight thousand seat stadium? Who is funding like it's a Power Five conference? You know, Oregon State's going to outspend everybody. They're gonna they're gonna look better than Boise State. They're gonna look better than Fresno State when. Uh, to recruits, and so I think I think that the, the path that you have of your Oregon State is going. Hey, let's in the next two years try to get to the playoff. Let's hire a coach who can take you to the playoff. Now, can you find a coach who can take you to the playoff? Because I think Jonathan Smith, despite you know the fact that he had maybe some disappointing losses here and there this season, I think Jonathan Smith was a really good coach and did a lot with little. Let's go to Jimbo, who's in Eugene, listening on Fox Sports Eugene. Jimbo, go ahead. Yeah, thanks, John. You know, you look at the whole thing, and and besides the Pac-12 selling Oregon State out, the universe, I mean, Oregon State University administration sold the athletic department out. And, you know, they're going to be sucking wind for a long, long time. Not only the football, but the basketball and baseball programs are suffering. And it's a damn shame, only because the program that they have they have the athletic program. The overall athletic program is really good. But the old fat guys didn't uh, decide to step up to the uh, new avocado toast people that are running the athletic world, and that's just the way it is. Yeah, I appreciate that. I also think taxpayers are going to get left holding the bag if you really think about it. Um, and I pointed out this morning in my mailbag that this goes back to 2011. There was a House bill that was proposed in 2011 that – proposed that Oregon and Oregon State would have separate boards of trustees. Prior to that, there was one board of trustees that oversaw all of the all the colleges, all the public universities in the state of Oregon. In 2011, there was a House bill that was presented. It passed 29 to 1 that allowed Oregon State and Oregon to adopt their own boards of trustees. Now, what did that do? Well, it, it allowed them to go out and, you know, be a little more nimble. They were able to hire contractors and make decisions for their own co- campuses th- without having to go back to a board of trustees and explain what they were doing and, you know, allowed them to act in their best interest. But it also opened the door in 2023, in August of 2023, for the board of trustees at the University of Oregon to vote and say, hey, we're going to do what's best for Oregon. We're going to go to the Big Ten. It's not our job to worry about Oregon State. Now, remember, the Regents, the Arizona Board of Regents in Arizona, just a few days before, had instructed Arizona and Arizona State to stick together. You didn't have that with Oregon and Oregon State. And if you didn't have that ability and that autonomy, I think that the board at, at uh, Oregon, or the you know this board in the state of Oregon, would have said, hey, you guys have to stick together. Now, I don't know if that would have meant that Oregon had to stay in the Pac-12, or if that would have meant that the Big Ten had to take Oregon State. But, you know, I think taxpayers are going to end up on the hook for this because Oregon State is now asking the state legislature for $30 million in extra funding to help uh, subsidize the money that it will not receive annually from the media rights deal. So, you know, there's a problem there. Jim is in Vancouver where he won't have to pay taxes on uh, on the stuff that's going on in Oregon. But, Jim, what, what's on your mind? 
say appreciate this. Hey, let, let me make this personal to you. Anna's song went out on top, and yeah, we wailed and cried and whatever, and she made the best deal she had, and God bless her for it. I'm glad to hear her on the other day uh, talking to you and how well her life is going. I see it the same way. You know, the man figured this is the best opportunity for him, and he went for it. All the rest of this, to me, is fluff. You know, I mean, this guy owes Corvallis nothing. He put in a day's pay for a day's work, and he did it. Now he wants something different and better for his fans, his friends. Go for it. I mean, it's it's silly. It's just plain silly to wail and complain about how disloyal or whatever he is. The man was not a Benedict Arnold. You know, he did his job. Yeah, and I, point, I pointed that out on Twitter last night. I said, I called him loyal. And I had a lot of Oregon State fans who were like, loyal, loyal. And I was like, he came to your school and for six years stayed at your school and recruited. And, oh, by the way, you know, I wasn't talking about him being loyal to me or to you. He was loyal to his family. He was loyal to his fellow assistant coaches that he took with him. He was loyal to a large extent to the players that he helped over the years. Like, you know, I, I, I agree with the caller that I, I don't think that coaches, given that it can end so badly for coaches, I don't blame coaches when they do something that's in their best interest. I also am going to say, though, I know how painful that was for Oregon State fans because they had been through losing their conference in August and now they've lost their coach. And I think it drums up a lot of bad feelings. I think it, it drums up a lot of personal feelings that are bad. Josh is in Vancouver. We're big in Vancouver today. Josh, what's up, man? Hey, John. Thanks for uh, thanks for taking the call. Uh, you know, this is this is kind of an interesting thing. So when this all when this news first came out, you know, I thought Jonathan Smith was probably gone just because. You know, the state of Oregon set aside, you know, allegiances on whether you fall, you know, state or not state. But, uh, you know, the state of Oregon has seen enough of this, right, in the last several years. You know, certainly in the last decade. We've, how many times have we been through this ridiculous cycle? Uh, the, the downside is, is that Oregon State fans kind of were taking a victory lap every time that this was happening to Oregon. And um, I think when they hired Jonathan Smith, I think Oregon State fans made themselves believe because he was the prodigal son that he would never leave and that, that no matter what the circumstances were, uh, he wasn't ever going to go anywhere. He would always be there. He, he came home. It was, you know, he, we all heard the, the quote, dream job, dream state, dream university, so on and so forth. Um, you know, I think I asked, you know, this question to you. I don't know if you saw it on Twitter last night, but when you were taking questions, you know, things you were curious about for Scott Barnes, I would be really interested to see what the plan is for Oregon State for funding that isn't just attached to the settlement that they're trying to seek in the Pac-12 resolution. Because if there's if, – if that's the only – chicken they got in the basket right now aside from taxpayers paying money i i I see why jonathan smith left and and i and i can't blame him for leaving uh it doesn't make it right it doesn't make it feel any better especially when you start hearing things like you know barnes put a contract in front of him five weeks ago so he kind of knew five weeks ago that this was going on that like that's just not pretty so all i want to say to to beaver nation today as a duck fan is Take a deep breath. Take a step back. Uh, 
kind of uh, watch what happened to Oregon, right? We had to go through some tough times, but we've landed in a pretty good spot. And, yes, the universities are different, but as far as a coach and a situation, like, it worked itself out, and I know it doesn't seem like there's a path forward today, but I'm sure things will play out so that Oregon State will be okay in the end, uh, even though it doesn't appear that way today. So just hang yeah. tight and, you know, allow yourself to breathe a little bit. Thanks, yeah. John. This one's different, and it's tough. It's different than Dennis Erickson. It's different than Mike Riley. But I do, you know, I would tell Oregon State fans, I, I think there's ball left to play here. And just because Jonathan Smith and his agent said, hey, this is too much risk for us, we need to protect his career. We're going to get to the Big Ten Conference. We're going to put him at what we think is a decent job, mid-tier job in the conference. It's not. It's you know, it's not Indiana, you know. It's not Rutgers. Um, it's not Northwestern. It, you know, so they stick him in a in a job that they think is a decent job. Um, you know, don't don't close the door on Oregon State because I think Oregon State's plan right now is to win this lawsuit. I think they will get a favorable ruling this week. I think the court, the Supreme Court in Washington is going to uphold the decision by uh, Judge Gary Leiby in uh, in uh, you know in Colfax. And uh, I think that Oregon State and Washington State are going to get control of the board and then they're going to be able to say, "Hey, look, um, you know, we don't need the 30 million dollars in media revenue. We have all of this NCAA tournament revenue and we have the Rose Bowl equivalency payments." And we have the emergency fund, and we can live off this for three or four years. And then try to stay relevant. Try to do everything you can. But, you know, it's what you would tell your friend. Like, you know, do you give up? Do you just stop playing football? No. If you're Oregon State, what do you do? You fight. You fight, and you try to make this the greatest comeback story in, in the history of college athletics. You look at what Florida State came from and where it ended up. You look at, you know, you look at the great stories of, of, you know, universities that have pulled a rabbit out of their hat and you say, hey, we want to be like them. Uh, that's that's the only path that I see forward. Let's go to Mike, who's in Portland. Mike, welcome to the conversation. Hey, uh, I think that uh, Jonathan Smith took a good way out. I think it was to make his millions. Oregon State will always have an our open arms policy. I think he'll come back in 68 years after the Brinks truck has already gone to the bank and and stay forever. That's just kind of a guess on my part about this a long time ago. I think he'll come back. Yeah, He's doing what's the best for his family right now, given the uh, tentative nature of the Pac-2, Pac-12. So this is the thought on that deal. He'll be back. Yeah, yeah. and I think there, was bad feel- there were bad feelings when Dennis Erickson left for the NFL. And people felt jilted. There were bad feelings when Mike Riley left overnight to go to Nebraska. The difference is Oregon State is facing some uncertainty that goes beyond the coaching position. The Mike in Portland is joining the conversation. What's up? Say, so, John, first of all, I'm tired of hearing people talk about he's doing, he did what's best for him and his family. What about the players' family, the players that want to get married and have a family? What about Jonathan Smith when he came to their home trying to recruit telling them, uh, giving them a song and a dance, how he's going to be there, how he's going to take care of them. What about that? Hey, look, this guy's a flim-flam man, just like most of the coaches that is hired by the Oregon universities. These guys come in, and they use you guys. They use the state. None of these coaches want to bring a championship to the state. But you guys are okay with that. 
how you guys going to ever get a team that represents the state as a champion when you're okay with the coaches leaving? Man, I don't understand you people out there. I really don't. And as far as the Ducks beating the Beavers the other day, now we know that the Ducks beat a, co a team that didn't have a coach. So I got to take something away from that win that the Ducks did over the Beavers because the Beavers didn't have a coach. So, you know, you guys, I don't understand you people out there. If you want a championship team, quit accepting the nonsense that is happening with the coaches that come to Oregon. It's all, it's more than about the money. You know, I'll talk to you later, John. Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, I thought there was some wisdom in there. There was. I want more of your calls. 503-417-7575. The phone lines are yours. Scott Barnes, 4 o'clock. Be here for it. I want to hear from you. Scott Barnes coming up, 4 o'clock. You'll hear our interview. We went about 20 minutes. And you know, I asked him all about the process, what to expect this week, the schedule, what, what he knew. What did Jonathan Smith tell him? What did it feel like when Jonathan Smith called him on that Saturday morning after the Civil War and said, I'm leaving for Michigan State? I asked him all of that. You'll hear Scott Barnes coming up at 4 o'clock. I want your phone calls, 503-417-7575. Stephen, you haven't weighed in yet. Um, Jonathan Smith, is it a cop-out to say, hey, he did what was best for his family? People always say that stuff. No, I don't I don't think it's a cop-out. I mean, he was, he was pretty out there with what he said about the whole job opening. I mean, you talked to him the week before. He, he said, hey, my agent's out there looking. Like, you know, he was pretty, you know, obviously looking for a new job, and it shouldn't surprise us that he did leave Oregon State to go to Michigan State. Uh, I don't think it's a cop-out at all that he's doing this, and then you can, you know, you can blame it on whatever, but he's going to where he needs to go in order to compete on the top level. I, I think that he looks at this Oregon State situation with all the uncertainty and nobody knows what's going to happen with the pack or with the pack two. And it seems like they're really going to go to the Mountain West. Are they really going to get an invite back to the Power Four? I don't know. And I think this. I think this answer that him leaving the Oregon State to go to Michigan State so soon after the Civil War game. You know, the day after it, the game, it was announced he was going to Michigan State. That's the part that stings and makes me think, man, he didn't like the direction that Oregon State was going. He doesn't have a lot of hope that the Oregon State's future is going to be in the Power Four. I wish he would come on the show, and I think he will at some point. He obviously gave that interview to us last week where he talked about his agent being out there because I really would like to hear from him. Was it something that he saw that he didn't like or was it just the uncertainty in general? Now, I can tell you privately, he had conversations with me in the spring and in the summer where he was asking me what is going on with the conference, what is going to happen, what do I think is going to happen, is the conference going to stay together, is you know, he was very concerned about the future of where Oregon State was going to end up, whether it was going to be relegated to the Mountain West or be in a Pac-2 you know, situation or with the Pac-12 hold together. He was certainly involved in that. But it may just be that he said, that's too big a risk, I'm in too good of a position, and he probably has an agent in his ear who's going, hey, man, you know, take the bird in the hand. It's time for you to get out. You've done what you can with your alma mater. You can always go back. And I do think there is a chance that Jonathan Smith could go back one day, just like Mike Riley went back. Beaver fans don't want to hear it now, but uh, you tell me. Dan is in Bend. We're going to the phone lines. Dan, welcome to the show. Yeah, hey, good to talk to you. 
I'm glad. I really appreciate your coverage and all of this uh, Thank you. mayhem going on. Yeah, it is it's mayhem. been very informative. Um, I don't really want Jonathan Smith to come back. He's last year and this year there was like three or four games. I can't be exactly right where he lost by a field goal when he wouldn't kick a field goal. Yep. I I would really like them to have a plan. I, I wish Mr. Barnes would like already be telling us what the schedule is and like I would want to know who the coach is t tomorrow or today just so that the players have a chance to make a decision on what their future is. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think you're going to hear that from Scott Barnes coming up in just a few minutes. But you tell me. I'm not, I don't want to speak for you. You tell me when you know when you hear that interview what you make of it. Gary's in Tualatin. Gary, what's on your mind? Hey, John, go Ducks! Uh, you might want to let Mike know that uh, one of the Oregon teams is in the uh, championship for uh, the Pac-12 this weekend. So. Maybe he doesn't know about that. As far as uh, OSU goes, they've got to be as bummed as, as bummed out as high as we are. I mean, uh, we win this game. They lose it. They lose their coach. They lose their league. They've basically lost everything. I mean, um, I'm not a fan of theirs, but, gosh, you got to feel pretty bad for them. Um, Nick's is going to carve up the UW just like he did uh, Oregon State, and it really doesn't matter if those guys, the kids, didn't, uh, you know, have a coach there or not. And what, when you talk to uh, uh, Barnes, ask him why he hasn't named Trent Bray yet. I mean, yeah. he's he's yeah. the clone of Jonathan Smith. He played there. I mean, he might have played with Jonathan Smith. I don't remember. It seems like he was a cornerback or a safety linebacker. Or like that. Linebacker. Yeah. Linebacker. Yeah. And uh, and he's a great coach as far as the defense was the strength of their game. So um, I don't I don't get you know they should have named him before the game really, uh, but uh, it's it's a no brainer and and why they're not well, doing it. And well, then you I made think, a, just one last thing. Uh, yeah. You made a comment that uh, Corvallis and Eugene are the same thing, and I know Portland media thinks that, but I grew up there, and you see gold medalists running through the town all the time in Tracktown, USA. I don't know how many world records I've seen at Hayward Field, but it's a really in intense sports town, and everybody there is into um, uh, athletics and everything else. There's a world of difference between the two towns. Uh, it's not a knock on Corvallis, but right. you know the, yeah, the track. We're talking about brain. it from a standpoint of media markets, and that's what moved the needle when it came to realignment. It was media markets, television households, and then beyond that, it was brand. And Oregon has the brand. Oregon has Phil Knight. Oregon has invested hundreds. Of, no, let's let's just say this: Oregon has invested a billion dollars of Phil and Penny Knight's money into becoming Oregon. And, you know, people knocked that and made Uncle Phil jokes and all that stuff. But in the end, when it came time for conference realignment, you know, the Big Ten Conference said, we'll take that brand in Oregon and we'll take the Seattle TV market and we can get that with Washington. We don't need Washington State because we already got the Seattle TV market with Washington. We don't need the Portland market because we already got it with Oregon. We're done shopping. That's what it came down to. That's why I'm saying it's the same damn soup because – it is the same damn soup. Mark in Portland. Go ahead, Mark. Hey, well, I'm, you know I'm not going to let Mike get away with his clown performance. Uh, he, Colorado, he told us that they were going to compete for the Pac-12 championship. And that, that Oregon was not even a top 
you know, top team in the Pac-12. He, if you predicted what he did at the beginning of the year, then he told us they were going to be a, 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 a bowl team. They are the worst team in the Pac-12 this year. Nobody else but Colorado ended up with one loss or less. So he, if he predicted it, he could not have been more wrong than he was. Oregon's playing for their ninth conference championship. It's like he calls in on the blind. He doesn't even know what he's saying. It's just ridiculous to say that Oregon's not competing you know, to win a national championship. They've played in two national championships. They've won the only playoff game in the Pac-12. They own every heads-up against every team in the conference today for the last 30 years and and you know Oregon State uh I think they're going to have a better chance John because everything's changing next year you know how much I love the playoffs they need to solidify Roy has been right about everything on the other side Roy has told you everything that's going to happen they need to accept reality go to the Mountain West Conference and get an automatic bid in 2009 Boise State 2008 Utah, those teams had the ability to win back then, to win a playoff, in my opinion. Uh, ask yeah. Whittingham about the, it. The, yeah. the one thing you can't do, though, is you can't just join the Mountain West. you got to win this lawsuit first because of the money that's involved in it. But I get, in theory, what you're saying is, hey, you're with the group of five schools. And I think they can accept that without accepting a membership into the, into the Mountain West because I think they're going to be told – by the expanded playoff that they are in that group with, you know, the American Athletic Conference and the Mountain West Conference, and, hey, you're one of the group of five schools because you're not a Power Four conference school. You don't have an automatic bid. But I think they have a chance there at Oregon State if they can continue to fund it like it's a Power Five. They have an inherent advantage over the rest of the group of five schools. They will look better. They'll play better. They'll recruit better. And they should be there and should be rattling around the playoff as an at-large team. Will it be enough? We'll find out. Scott Barnes, Athletic Director, Oregon State. You're going to hear him next. Uh, We did an interview this morning, and I recorded and taped about 17, 18 minutes with him. I'll introduce it. You'll hear it in his words. I'm not going to speak for him. I want you to hear it in Scott Barnes' words coming up here at 4 o'clock. I want you here for that. Anna's going to pop in the studio. We'll talk about the Oregon-Washington title game and more still ahead on the BFT. Leave it here. B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. Well, Oregon State is in a precarious position. Football schedule for 2024, what's going on with that? Football coach Jonathan Smith leaves for Michigan State. What next? Lawsuit, Pac-2 conference against the world. They win the lawsuit, but now it's uh, stuck in the Washington Supreme Court. Should Should get a resolution on that this week. Well, I went in search of answers. And the guy that I wanted to talk with over the weekend, while everybody was fretting about Jonathan Smith, I was efforting Scott Barnes, the Oregon State Athletic Director. Communicated with him over the weekend, said, hey, Oregon State fans, college football fans, taxpayers, they want to hear from you. He agreed to come on today's show. Now, he was supposed to appear live right here at 4 o'clock. But they have a coaching search 
that was requiring a bunch of interviews. They had a team meeting that was scheduled this morning. And so Scott Barnes said, can I talk to you first thing Monday morning? And I said, as long as there's not going to be like a breaking news announcement that comes after our interview that would make it moot, I'm good with that. So we taped an interview this morning. Not here to mislead you. It is a taped interview. And I'm going to cue it up, have Stephen play it, and then I want your reaction to it. Listen to what he says about Jonathan Smith. Listen to what he says about the timeline for Michigan State getting involved and what Oregon State was trying to do to retain Jonathan Smith. And then listen as he talks about why Trent Bray is not the interim coach right now at Oregon State but still remains a candidate. Here's my talk with Scott Barnes, the Oregon State Athletic Director. Obviously a lot going on in Oregon State's world. Jonathan Smith off to Michigan State, um, end of the regular season, bowl game ahead, Pac-2 lawsuit, uh, the uh, coaching search. Nobody better to talk about it with than Scott Barnes, the guy who's at the center of all of that and is going to have a hell of a week and a busy week. Scott, how are you doing? Hey, we're doing great. It's uh, just living another day in paradise, John. <laughs> you got to kind of embrace it. You know, it beats just sitting yeah. around twiddling your thumbs a little bit, I guess. Yeah, no doubt. You know, I'm kind of built strangely that way, this sort of, you know, this sort of uh, trying to find solutions and, and tamp down crisis uh, uh, gets me gets me pretty energized. So we'll, we'll get through this in, in good fashion. Let's start with uh, Jonathan Smith. Uh, a lot of fans want to know at what point, he had one foot out the door. Did, what what kind of sense did you get as the season unfolded about his unrest? Yeah, John, what was interesting about this, if we kind of go back, I mean, Michigan State had such a prolonged search, right? They, they made some decisions early in the season, and Jonathan became uh, a target very early, which allowed me uh, to – uh, certainly put an offer on the table very early uh, uh, in the process as well. You know, lots of dialogue. It sort of uh, uh, continued to evolve, um, you know, um, to, to the point of, of him, him making his decisions uh, very late and, and uh, finalizing that uh, sometime Saturday morning. When you say you put an offer in front of him, um, can you give us any kind of specifics on how much – security you were you were able to offer him yeah no 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 other than other than um, wanting to work with him uh, uh, on a deal and and, and both uh, meeting with his agent several times as well uh, that, that secured him and his assistance and uh, having that conversation very early in the process uh, because uh, certainly uh, aside from Michigan State Jonathan was a hot commodity na- nationwide and, and so putting putting uh, that to action early was really important to me did did he give you a call when he knew he was out i mean prior to the civil war do you get a call from him saying hey this is my last game or do you have a conversation no we we talk uh, we have monday meetings every and, and then i talked to his agent several times uh, over that last week and we met we had a, a call saturday morning um, uh, I had a call with his agent and Jonathan Saturday morning when, when was confirmed. And then both uh, Jonathan and I uh, met with the team um, that morning, and, and Jonathan sort of said his goodbyes, and then I teed up sort of the process and the plan moving forward. Um, you know, when you look back at the last year, I mean, a lot of this is out of your control with the Pac-12 stuff happening. How much of Jonathan's decision do you think had to do with 
just the uncertainty in 2024 versus I've done what I can do at Oregon State? And did he give you any kind of sense there? You know, the only conversation we had around that, John, um, was that he liked our plan. And, and, you know, there's a lot to like about it, and, and, and we'll, uh, we'll get there. But, um, you know, probably as good a shot as we've ever had uh, in, in sort of executing this plan to be in a CFP playoff um, with 12 teams and potentially seven at large. We'll see right now six and six may go to seven and five. So he, he uh, embraced the plan. Uh, now, that said, let's just be candid. You know, the, the uncertainty, um, I got to believe, uh, helped him, uh, helped inform his decision. But aside from that, I, you know, uh, you'd, have to, you'd have to talk to him. Um, the, the plan itself, uh, he, he embraced. But at the end, uh, you know, he made a decision that he felt was best for him and his family. And uh, want to, you know, want to thank him. Uh, think about what he took over, right, six years ago and, and where we sit now, the foundation we have uh, to build from. Um, and, and he obviously had uh, everything to do with that. Scott Barnes with us, Oregon State Athletic Director. Let's, let's get to the, the next hire. Um, you obviously have to move quickly. How quickly can you move given policy, state law, uh, Rooney rule, all of that? Yeah, we can move, we can move very quickly. Uh, Thank God for the thing called Zoom, right? We, we get to we get to move very very quickly in that regard. We'll uh, sort of rack them and stack them here um, today, um, and and move forward to uh, to having a head coach name prior to the transfer portal window. That is my goal, and I certainly think it's attainable. Given that parameter, I mean, I'm just drawing conclusions here. It- People that you know, that you're comfortable with, that you've had previous interactions with, who know your campus, who know the West Coast, those kind of candidates seem like they would rise to the top. How much can you tell us about the early shortlist that you have? Yeah, you know, there's a half a dozen there. It's amazing how many people have connections to Oregon State in one way or another. But it, it, it's also some that are outside that uh, that realm, John, that, you know, I've been in this 35 years, so I do, I do know uh, uh, the candidates well and, and uh, understand what we're dealing with. And that helps certainly inform the final decision. What are you looking for? Look at, you know, the baseline, John, as is, is always, want, want somebody that, that uh, impeccable integrity and character, leadership capacity to run this. What becomes even more important in today's, uh, what I'll say is sort of a, free agent market mentality between the NIL and the portal. And that's, that's the connection that a, a coach has with his players. And um, there's different ways to determine that, but that is so important nowadays for two reasons. One, certainly recruiting, but secondly, retention of student-athletes. And if, if a student-athlete knows and trusts a head coach that that head coach has his back, uh, then – then that, that NIL number that, that is floating out there somewhere else isn't as important uh, because they know they can thrive, and, and we've seen that here. We've seen our student-athletes thrive and grow here, and people see that. People see transfers coming in and thriving, and that's, uh, that's super important. So, um, you know, those fundamentals I talk about, but, but that connection, is, and then always, John, particularly here, what's your plan? Not generally speaking, 
everybody, every football coach has a system and a plan. What's your plan for Oregon State? And, oh, by the way, what's your plan for Oregon State given the transition that we're in? And we'll dig deep into that. Uh, Obviously, I can talk to candidates uh, more candidly than I can talk to the public right now about where we're headed. And so we'll we'll get all that teed up. How important is a sitting head coach or the experience of being a head coach to you in this? You know, it's not the number one thing. Uh, For me, and and sort of living through this, this will be my fifth football hire, um, you want the the fit, you want the energy, the leadership capacity, you want uh, a lot of things. You can get that head coach or a coordinator. What we have to be certain of is that, as we did with Jonathan, is that if we hire a coordinator, a first-time coach, that we surround him with excellence, both from an administrative staff um, to uh, the coaches that, that this individual hires, is making sure that that experience and and uh, those things are around him. And, and then, you know, you always want a coach, particularly for the first time, that admits they don't know everything. And, and, he, and, and I've always had and been blessed to have as a partner. And, and so... As we navigate through this thing, um, I've had great partners, um, and, and I need a, a CEO mentality. I need a partner that I can um, lock arms with, and, and we can work together to move through all this. And, and uh, I'm excited about the, the candidate pool and, and who's interested because there, there are a bunch of good ones out there. guy that obviously comes to mind, Trent Bray, the, your defensive coordinator, he, uh, to this point, has not announced that he's going and appears to be a candidate for you guys uh the fact that he's not the interim coach you know some are making conclusions there going well if they didn't like him as interim coach how could they like him was there a reason you kept him out of that interim coach role yeah it's my it's my it's a philosophy for me you know and and i'm you know i i don't i don't want to start listing candidates but but as i think about uh candidates for a permit job i want to keep them out of the fray you know i i i uh any candidate that I'd have that I'm interested in, and, and you can look at, at, at this as I my career, I, I don't put them in the interim role. I, I keep them out of that, and it's just a philosophy I've had. Scott Barnes with us, Oregon State Athletic Director. Um, you know, the uh, the firm that you have contracted with will come in. Is Will they only work on the head coaching job? Will you expand their role to coordinators? How does that work? No, I, it's, a, it's a great question, John. No, what what we'll do is we'll we'll focus on the head coaching search. It's a very condensed uh, time frame, as you and I've discussed. And then um, as we're as we're interviewing coaches, we'll want to know what their plan is for for coordinators and assistants. And then we'll we'll help any way we can in that. But certainly, I want uh, uh, somebody that's going to come in and sit in the seat that knows. Um, has a really good idea and plan around who they would bring and why. So those those things uh, we'll, we'll, we'll understand as we go through the process here. The plan for 2024, you, you know, you sort of mentioned how important that is and that Jonathan was on board with it. Uh, you know, how soon will people see a schedule and and what can you tell us about it? Yeah, it, it's here's what I can tell you, and it's you know. Let me first say to our our Beaver Nation, I, I I hear you on the frustration. You know, when you're dealing with what we're dealing with, conference alignment, scheduling, and head coaching searches, you can't say a ton. But here here's uh, this will this schedule will be 
I think, representative of a lot of what they've seen in the past. We'll have we'll have six group of five games, some top-tier group of fives. We'll have five power fives is what we're working for, towards, a smattering of, of different uh, power five conferences. And then uh, an FCS that we've always had. We'll have an FCS. So some of those are already booked. The additional ones will be announced very, very soon, and some of the ink uh, won't be dry on a couple of those. They may linger a little further, and and, and just uh, from a sort of protocol, uh, until you have the ink dry on a contract, you really just can't say because if something goes, you know, it's so fluid. If it changes, then it changes, and you've got to retract. So we'll we'll uh, we'll give some information here very soon. Um, and then uh, the balance as we as we finalize uh, some of the contracts, we will we'll announce that so we can do it all at once. How important is it to get some power four, power five presence in on that schedule? If you know the the prevailing thought is, and you don't have to get into too much of this, but the prevailing thought being, hey, there's going to be a, some kind of partnership with the Mountain West. How how important will it be to play? Some games like the Purdue game that you've got, you know, in a non-conference yeah. schedule, and yeah. add to that. Yeah. Yeah, no, really important. I, you know, the goal again is, is if we played six group of fives, we played five power fives. So, obviously, Purdue's on the schedule. Washington State will be on the schedule, and we've got three more we're we're talking to and trying to get the finish line. And as you think about John, as you think about that schedule, and you think about this playoff expansion to twelve, and potentially a that that's you know six and six or seven and five format where we'd have seven at larges. There's a path to playoff there. Um, there really is. So we're we're excited, and I know Beaver Nation is chomping at the bit to get this done. We'll we'll have it uh, have it done soon. I know they've heard me say that too. But until the ink dry, I can't say the specifics. But that's the format. That's six uh, group of fives, five power fives, and then that's all of are being uh, you know finalized. And and we'll have that obviously ahead of. Uh, our, our season ticket information, renewal information, which we're planning on getting out there early, early January. But obviously, um, much of this will be will be solved and announced before then. Yeah. So we're talking the portal opening on December fourth. Uh, ideally, a coach in place before that date. Uh, some kind of schedule announcement before that date, or announcement of a plan moving forward. Um, yep. One of the biggest questions I put out uh, on social media last night, you know, I'm going to talk to Scott Burns, and I said, what do you want to know? And the question that keeps coming back is people want to when you knew Jonathan was leaving and what you tried to do about it, or was there anything yeah. that you could do about it in yeah. the end? Yeah, and again, you know, we talked earlier, I think we talked a little earlier, the contract, you know, we've had, I guess, I'd say about five weeks prior, you know, back uh, quite a ways with his agent and him. We meet weekly. We, we uh, had that, um, you know, had those talks starting. So um, in the end, no. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, he didn't bite, and, and he moved on. And then the, part, the second part of that question is when did I uh, ultimately know? Now, remember, all this is evolving, right? We're talking all the time. Um, but as it got closer and closer, the final answer when they said we have uh, been offered and accepted came Saturday morning. The offer came, you know, officially Friday and the, I think Friday night maybe, and the, um, the acceptance, acceptance Saturday uh, is when I knew. So I knew Saturday morning, and that's when Jonathan and I went met, met with the team later that morning. He met with staff. He and I met with the team. He met first, and then I 
I shared sort of our process going forward. And I'll do that again today. We'll meet here actually in just a few minutes with the team, uh, introduce the interim coach, Kavense Henson, let Kavense talk to them about bowl preparations, practice plans, and the like, and then we'll grab a, a group of a smaller group of team leaders and, and meet with them and, and get in a little more detail. Scott, when you have that final call with Jonathan, I mean, that that what is that feeling? Most of us have not been on the other end of the phone in that business setting. Yeah, it's uh, it's like a, it's hard. It's like you you know, party you, you lose you lose a partner and a friend, right? That that you've been you know in the trenches with for six years, and you know, guys guys a beaver, and and uh, you know we. <laughs> Obviously, did everything and wanted him to stay. So it's sad, um, you know. I, you know, when he he addressed the team, I, you know, I gave him a big old hug, and you know, I love the guy. And and um, I think for Beaver Nation, as as mad as everybody may be at certain things, um, look, he, he's doing what he believes is right for him and his 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 uh, family, and he's left this. In, 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 in a really good spot, and we're going to take that and run with it. So, um, yeah, tough, though, John, really tough. All right, so uh, timeline moving forward, obviously. Will you bring coaches to campus, or will they mostly be done via Zoom or off-site meetings? Limited. What? Yeah, we'll, do, we'll bring limited limited folks to campus out of, the, out of these Zooms, yep. Um, all right, I appreciate you joining us and talking us through some of this. I, I also think, you know, for – for fans who want to get involved or maybe feel a little bit helpless, I keep saying that this is an opportunity for the collective, an opportunity for fans yeah. to say, hey, you know, if the plan is to fund it like it's a Power 5 conference and, you're, and you can win that lawsuit, what else do you need? What do you need from your fan base? Yeah, no, thank you, John. And, it, you know, pro, the most important tool in, in today's college athletics is, is uh, NIL money. Um, we do it the right way. We lean into retaining our student athletes through NIL activities and uh, connecting with the collective. Uh, uh, please do it. Uh, the damnation is all over. You know where to get there. And please join. Uh, help help retain our student athletes and reward them for work well done. We'll do it the right way. We lean into our core values and, and how we do that. And uh, that that in and of itself, John. And thanks for teeing it up. Is is uh, priority number one. All right, Scott Barnes, good luck to you. Make sure you hydrate this week and uh, and get some rest. You're going to need it. Thank you, buddy. Talk soon. There it is. Scott Barnes, Athletic Director, Oregon State. I want your reaction. What did you hear there? Do you feel better? Do you feel the same? Do you feel worse? 503-417-7575 is the phone number. Plus, I'll talk about the Ducks and the Huskies. Plan for all the marbles. Your phone calls and that still ahead. Well, you heard from Scott Barnes, the athletic director at Oregon State. Anna's popped into the studio. Anna, we're going to kick this around. I want to go right to the phone lines. That's all right with you. Welcome to the studio. Yeah, hi. Going to go right to the phone lines. Um, but by the way, you've been kind of tuned in to Oregon State fans and the emotions that they're feeling. Um, and, uh, you know, you're watching them on social media. They're not happy. Yeah, I mean, not just on social media, but just talking to people um, at the Civil War. You know, everybody has this feeling where it's not just about Jonathan leaving. And, you know, at the Civil War, we didn't know that that was the case, but that was certainly up in the air. And the thing is, 
this is not just like a normal coach leaving situation. I think any time that a coach leaves, we forget. It's not easy most of the time. Like 99% of the time, there isn't this smooth transition. Um, so I understand. People are upset. They have all kinds of feelings about it. It really ranges the spectrum. And I don't blame people for having strong feelings because it's like they're asked to believe in a program. Jonathan Smith is the figurehead of that program. And for him to leave as suddenly as he did immediately, essentially, after the Civil War, I understand why people are rattled. Let's go to the phone lines. I want to hear from people who listen to the interview and have thoughts on it. Let's go to Michael, who is in Eugene, listening on Fox Sports Eugene. Michael, go ahead. John, great Civil War. I'm a duck to the core. My heart goes out to Beaver Nation. And unfortunately, the next the next cut they're going to feel is the transfer portal. I do not think Jonathan would have left if he believed in any way in the plan Barnes was putting together. And unfortunately, a tough weekend to be a Beave. I hope they recover. But I cannot imagine if I were in their shoes, I would be, you could not console me. Um, I would be probably in a whiskey bottle. Regarding quickly the playoff, John, Yeah. watch for the Ducks to cover Friday night. I will be there. I was thinking about the chippy effect. I've been to Seattle and been outnumbered there. I've seen Purple and Autumn. This is going to be special and unique having close to 50-50 in a building of 65,000. But the Ducks will cover. Look for the committee to leapfrog the Ducks over Florida State, setting up the traditional Rose Bowl matchup with Michigan and give Florida State to Georgia in the sugar. Uh, greatest show. I feel so sorry for the Beavs. I, I, you know, I was happy to knock them yeah. around Friday night, but... I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. I'll, I'll hang up and listen, John. You and Ann are the best. Thanks so Appreciate much. Appreciate you. Appreciate you, Michael and Eugene. I think you speak for a lot of people. I think I am hearing that from Oregon fans today, especially after a weekend. You know, they see the regular season, the Pac-12 ending. They understand the plight that Oregon State is in. I mean, that's that's basic empathy right there that we're hearing from some of our callers. Dave's in Tumwater. Dave, what's on your mind? Well, John, uh, first of all, thanks for continuing to refer to the game as the Civil War from last week, and if it goes forward, the same. I think Ann's nailed it with the key point. This isn't the normal coaching transition scenario. You yourself, John, used the phrase, Oregon State is in a precarious position. And Smith had to know that, and even with that knowledge of forethought, decided to leave anyway. And so this, this is... This is Erickson, Riley, Riley leaving a second time, times two in terms of its potential dire downside impacts. And, and I, I, I find the callers who are rationalizing, justifying Smith's decision just simply appalling. And can we stop this best for his, best for his family, those bromides? When Jeff Bezos moved his uh, principal living uh, domicile from uh, Bellevue or whatever it was, to Florida. Was he doing that for the best of his family? No, let's call it for what it was, John. It was simply greed. And Smith panicked. Uh, you, 
somebody's going to have to come in and fight the good fight, but he didn't have the gumption to do it himself. Smith is dead to me, and the mere thought that someone's already anticipating he, him coming back in a few years is almost enough to make me stick to my stomach. There you go, Dave and Tumwater. Appreciate wow. the phone call. Googling yeah. bromides. <laughs> <laughs> but he's speaking for people. People over the weekend, I heard this anger everywhere. Saturday night, Sunday night, as the news spread. And Jonathan Smith keeps talking, and it keeps getting worse. You know, he's now saying, you know, I wasn't I wasn't just running from somewhere. I was running to somewhere. And, and people are going, well, wait a minute now. What about your alma mater that gave you your first coaching job? Um, you know, I get it. He's got an agent in his ear. Agents telling him, "Hey, you've got to uh you've got to go out and you've got to uh do what's best for you." Um that that debate over quote unquote what's best for your family has ignited its own sort of sub argument among fans. Is there such a thing as doing what's best for your family or are you just, you know, using um Using a, uh, stare, you know, uh, are you just basically using that to hide behind? Doing what's best for your family. Well, I don't know what's in Jonathan Smith's heart of hearts. Like, but traditionally, from a public relations standpoint, whenever you hear that statement, um, it's sort of the safe line that it's supposed to be hard to argue so, like, actually, when somebody resigns from a position, right, we've all seen that, something really controversial and terrible happened, and, you know, they are no longer going to be working at the firm because they're going to be spending more time with their family, focusing on their family. Um, this isn't quite that, but it's supposed to be sort of a, yeah. um, but a it's a cliche. Line. But it's a cliche that you can throw out that basically says, hey, don't blame me. Mm-hmm. Don't blame me. I had to do what's best for my family. Well, because who are we to dictate what is best for his family? What's best for his family is he get on the damn trampoline in the backyard in Corvallis and stay at his alma mater. That would probably, that's best for his kids. They stay in their schools. They get to go to school. But I understand the larger point is that we are a capitalist society. He's got an opportunity to go make more money. We don't have the details as a contract yet, but he's making more than $4.85 million to go to Michigan State, which was paying Mel Tucker like damn near $9, $10 million a year. So Jonathan Smith gets to go there. He probably got a significant raise. This is millions of dollars for him. And he's in a Power 5 conference with resources and doesn't have to worry about what's going to happen in 2024, what's going to happen in 2025. So he did what was best for him. And his family, right? That's fair. Right? That's fair to say. Let's go to the phone lines. <laughs> Sam is in Portland. Sam, what's up? John, do you know, great interview with Scott. I think everybody's looking at this all the wrong way. This is not a sinking ship because we have the best captain around, and that's Scott Barnes. The guy almost died earlier this year. He had a heart attack. Then he had to deal with, realignment. Uh, now he's had to deal with losing his head football coach. Uh, the more I've seen Scott Barnes work and handle himself and do what he does, the more, like, I've run through a wall for that dude. I mean, I'm, I'm inspired by what Scott Barnes has done at Oregon State, what he continues to do. I, I wasn't sold when he hired Jonathan Smith. You know that. Uh, but I was wrong. 
and Jonathan Smith was a great hire. And I, I really believe that Scott is going to find the right candidate and he's going to hire the right person and Oregon State's going to be fine. It's all going to work out. He's committed. He's invested. And uh, I think every, it's, it's all these people that you don't need to feel sorry for me as a Beaver fan. I've been a Beaver fan for seven, since I was seven years old. You don't need to feel sorry for me. I think it's a bright future for Oregon State. Yeah. And, and say that because of Scott Barnes and I'm excited to see who the next coach is and what the schedule is and we move on good luck to Jonathan Smith he'll always be a beaver there you go Sam in Portland I I, I keep wondering if Scott Barnes thinks he's going to wake up one day and this will all have been a dream that happened when he, remember he had the cardiac arrest, he was yeah. on the ground at that banquet in Fresno, they were honoring him, you know, they had to do an emergency trauma level, you know, resuscitation, he, they, they get his heart beating, they get him to the hospital, he goes back to work, I, I gotta be honest with you, like, we don't ha- we didn't have, like, the best relationship before all that happened, first time I saw him after that, I hugged him. Because I was just happy he was alive. Like, as a human being, I was like, hey, come here. You're alive. And on a human level, like, let's hope he's like, yeah. hydrating, nourishing, That's what I said to him. Right but I keep wondering, like, if he's going to wake up and go, was this whole thing just, like, while I was out, this all happened? The Pac-12 didn't really end. I was just out. This is, you know, invented in my, you know, Hitchcock-like imagination. Uh, it's, uh... It's surreal. Like, you couldn't make this up. Like, even go to the tentacles of this thing. All right? Let's go back. Brenda Tracy, 1998, is assaulted on campus at Oregon State by three football players. The story comes out 16 years later. She becomes a lobbyist and a sex assault, uh, you know, motivational speaker to talk about violence against women, and she's touring... She encounters Mel Tucker at Michigan State. He turns out to be a creep. You know, she reports it. The Michigan State trustees get rid of him. Jonathan Smith ends up at Michigan State. Brenda Tracy and Jonathan Smith were at Oregon State at the same time. Like, it's almost like this weird, like, Alfred Hitchcock, any moment now is going to pop up and go, you know, thank you for tuning in to tonight's episode. This is, you know what I mean? This is like there's a man on the wing. You couldn't make all this stuff up in the way that it has gone down, and Oregon State fans are trapped in this vortex until they get a resolution on the lawsuit, they get their money for the next few years, they get a new coach, and they start putting one foot in front of the other. Mark's in Beaverton. Go ahead, Mark. Hey, John. First of all, for uh, Sam, the previous caller, I just got to say harumph because I echo everything he said. I think I think uh, Scott Barnes, I think the president needs to give him a raise for everything he's gone through. I mean, again, not just his his health condition, but, I mean, having to put up with or having to deal with everything us with else. And I'm sure sure this part of the conversation is being talked about somewhere, and I even read it in in some of the, you know, some of the emails, um, you know, from from your email. I feel sorry for the players because there is no perfect way to transition when a head coach is interviewing for another job, he can't tell his players because they're like, oh, he's leaving us. He can't, all he can do is lie to them because then they're like, once they, they read the writing on the wall, it's, oh, he lied to us, and then they feel jilted. And so then the new coach has to come in 
and basically put a Band-Aid on that. So I just feel sorry for the players because there's no there's no good way to do it. If there is, someone would have written the book a long time ago. So it, it's just sad. It's just, just sad. I agree. It is sad. Why don't we just have a transfer portal for coaches? They do already. It's what they do. No, but I mean an official one. Like, we know when the transfer portal opens for players. Why don't we just adapt that same system for coaches so it's not this, like, you know, smoke and mirrors kind of thing, this cat and mouse game that we have that to play. That all the coaches go, can go into the portal and their contracts are, you know, not <laughs> binding at the same time. I mean, Michigan State. Not exactly. Michigan. I just, but, I need a cleaner process. Well, I, I just, I think this is the way it's always been for coaches. I know it has. And coaches leave. I've been doing this for too long, okay? <laughs> for too long. I've been at this too long. I've known too many coaches. And, you know, I've long passed the point of thinking they're my buddies, even though they come on the show and they act like they're my buddies. They all eventually leave and go somewhere else. And I'll be honest with you, a lot of them, when they leave and go somewhere else, they stop talking to me. Like, you know, it's not like they need, I don't need them anymore. But I'll be honest, like there are others that have, you know, I I look at Mario Cristobal, I look at Chip Kelly. Those two guys will still... Still text me, still call me. I go, are they coming back? Like, do they need something from me? Like, or maybe they're just leaving the door open. You know what I mean? Like, I keep thinking to myself, like, you know, all of these guys, they're all kind of the same character, which is why it was so refreshing, I think, when Dan Lanning came out just a few weeks ago and said, hey, Oregon's the place I want to be. And, you know, he basically just told the fan base, hey, don't worry, you got me. Isn't it just the timing of it all? Like, right after the Civil War, the day after... Like I, I feel like that's the part that would leave a sour taste in my mouth if I'm a diehard Beaver fan. But so when is the right time? What after the day after the bowl game? I mean, when when is the right time? Right? I, I yeah, I agree. I don't know the answer, but like it just seemed as if like you know he wasn't motivated to win that game. Like he wasn't all in, and then literally the next morning it was announced he was gone. I mean, if he waited a week like after the Pac-12 title game, is that better? Yeah. I don't know. It just seems like the timing would be so. That's the part I would be most upset about if I was a Oregon State but fan. Maybe there yeah. was pressure for Michigan it's, no, State. It's no, it's the portal. The portal's the pressure. The portal opens December 4th. Oh. So Jonathan Smith, you know, whoever's going to be the coach at Michigan State, mm. whoever's going to be the coach at Texas A&M, whoever's going to be the coach at Oregon State has to be in place before Monday when the portal opens. I see. Or you don't have any players. So maybe they need to move the portal back. You know, move the portal to, uh, you know, January 15th. That'll buy you some more time because I do agree with Steven. I you know, as I look back, I go five, six weeks, Michigan State was talking to Jonathan Smith. That kind of suggests that for the last five or six weeks, he's been distracted. Well, I just go back to your show when you had him on. I mean, he basically said he was gone without saying he's gone. And so it just, it now that you do all the math, it just adds up so perfectly that we should have been seeing this coming a long time ago. And I keep thinking, you know, he basically came on and I said, you know, what are you, what are you doing? And he talked about his agent. Is, does that mean that you have not had contact with those schools or your agent hasn't or, you know, people were worried. They keep asking me, is he leaving? Is he yeah. leaving? I said, it's not his style. Yeah. Well, I, I'm not trying to be sarcastic here. It's like, yeah. I've got an agent that's got a job. He best be finding out what, what is out there and, and people calling in, right? I mean, that's how that works. I can tell you from his, his side, he best be working just because I'm paying him so much, right? They get a percentage of I'm making him a couple million bucks. Right. <laughs> I mean, right. so I'm not trying to be sarcastic. So, right. And I think 
any coach, they're aware of what's potentially out there through if their if their agent's doing their job. And again, I'm not trying to would have dodged the question or anything, but I'm also trying to be truthful here yeah. of how this thing works. Trying to be truthful. When you heard that, did you know? You've done enough of these interviews. I said he's gone. Like You did, right? Yes. Uh, yeah, I said he was gone. Because there were, then, there it's were the people way... who heard it who said, well, maybe not. Yeah, you know? but I think people hear what they want to hear. In Oregon State, fans heard, well, he's got his agent doing his work, but he hasn't really interviewed. And, you know, so if you're, you're going to hear what you want to hear. There's a bias there, confirmation bias mm-hmm. that you're looking for, which is why I played it for you. I played it for my dad. <laughs> I asked you guys at Thanksgiving, what do you think he's going to do? Because you kind of have to hear the way he says it. He uses the word, I'm not trying to be sarcastic. He used the word sarcastic. He's using the wrong word. Like, you know, I get what he's saying there. Like, I don't think sarcastic means what Jonathan Smith thinks it means, you know, as he's giving that interview. He's not being sarcastic. He says, I'm not trying to be evasive. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to dodge the question. But this is, you know, or I'm not trying to be flippant. Mm -hmm. But my agent's making money. He should be out talking Mm -hmm. to people. Yeah. And I also think as he was there, there was a really uncomfortable laugh. Yeah. His laugh. Right. Was more of a oh I'm saying I'm really saying this you know yeah and I just felt like he was gone yeah and and that's kind of where I stood at, at that point I want more of your phone calls five zero three four one seven seventy five seventy five well Friday Oregon will play Washington in Las Vegas for the Pac twelve championship should be a hell of a game. Michael Penix Jr. didn't look right after the Apple Cup game, even though Washington won. He left the field, and a lot of questions about his health. Uh, people are speculating and reporting that his ribs are bothering him. Maybe this is the same injury he had earlier in the season. It's evident that the pass rush at Washington State caused uh, Michael Penix Jr. some problems. Looming in the background, I got my my ballot today from the Heisman Trust. The ballots, the voting is open for the Heisman Trophy. I'm going to wait. I think everybody should wait to see the conference championship games this weekend. But some voters, they vote early and vote without seeing the games, which is just ridiculous to me. I will wait. I want to see what Bo Nix does. I want to see what Michael Penix Jr. does. They have an opportunity, and they've earned that opportunity to play in a conference championship game, as have the players at Alabama and Georgia and Michigan and everywhere else that has a conference championship game going on. So I'll wait and see what Bo Nix does. What am I looking for? Well, glad you asked. I'm looking for Bo Nix in Oregon to win the game, and I need Bo Nix to be the reason that Oregon wins the game. If that can happen, I think Bo Nix has a really good shot to win the Heisman Trophy and walk off with the hardware. A lot of, a lot of push in the SEC footprint for Jaden Daniels who had a nice season, a prolific offensive season, but for a team that lost a handful of games. And I keep looking at Oregon, and I go, what would Oregon be without Bo Nix? I think Oregon would be good, but not great. What would Washington be without Michael Penix Jr.? Wouldn't be anywhere near undefeated. What would LSU be without Jaden Daniels? I think the record at LSU would be about the same without Jaden Daniels. I think they would have probably been like an 8-4 and team. Uh, Steven, what did you see? You watched Daniels in his final regular season game as well. Yeah, I mean, a really good player, right? And we've seen him in the Pac-12, and he's been really good, and he has a lot of you know records this season with the way he's run the football. 
But you're right. I feel like winning has to matter at some point. And, you know, historically, you look at the Heisman Trophy, there's been a couple guys that have won with three losses. Um, Johnny Menzel, Robert Griffin III, I believe, Lamar Jackson. Those guys also set, like, historic records that were crazy out of nowhere. There also weren't the competition that there is this season. I think you look at Bo Nix, you look at Michael Penix. If Washington goes undefeated, I don't see how there's not a way you can't give it to Michael Penix. Like he's the leader of in the clubhouse with the unbelievable stats for a 13 and 0 team. Then you look at Bo Nix. He's probably going to set the completion percentage record for a team that's going to go to the cultural playoff if Oregon wins. So I do think that it does have to play with the fact that there are two other viable candidates for Jaden Daniels not to win that Heisman Trophy. But I do think that there's going to be a problem where outside of the West Coast, you look, you know, you go Midwest, you go East Coast. There may be uh, some split decisions there of those people, and they may just say, hey, you know what, I don't know what to vote for between Knicks and Penix on the West Coast. I'll just give it to Daniels. Or it just is the fact that Knicks and Penix will split votes, and then Daniels will get all the votes in the Midwest and the South and the East. Well, I think Penix has faded a little bit, given that you know Washington continues to win. But I do think you're right. He'll cannibalize some of the Bo Nix vote. And this is how it works. It goes, you vote one, two, and three. And the first place votes get, are worth more points than the second place votes, and the second place votes are worth more points than the third. You know, worth more than the third place votes. And so, what you do run the risk of is you run the risk that Michael Penix Jr. is going to take some first place votes out of the West regions and going to cannibalize a little bit of the points that Bo Nix would get because it. To me, this is really a race between Bo Nix and Jaden Daniels if Oregon wins the game. Anna, go ahead. But that's where I think the marketing of Bo Nix is a difference maker. I mean, I maybe I've been a little myopic, but I have not seen hardly any marketing of Michael Penix when it comes to talk about the Heisman. I mean, I've heard Husky fans talk about it, and I've, of course, heard his name mentioned. But, you know, we know that name, Bo Nix, and Oregon has done a remarkable job of getting him out there, showcasing him week after week yeah. with these brilliant videos that they keep putting out, like cinematic mini-movies that they're putting out about each game and showing what a tremendous leader he is, not to mention the billboards and whatnot. Yeah, and I think, you know, here's how it works. Three points for a first-place vote, two points for a second-place vote, one point for a third-place vote. There are six regions, Far West, Mid-Atlantic, Southwest, Northeast, Midwest, and South. And then uh, all of the 57 previous winners get a vote. And then there's one fan vote. So there's uh, 870 total votes. And they're distributed regionally. And it's been tricky for those in the Far West region to win this thing. Because the East Coast games end and people go to bed and don't see Christian McCaffrey playing for Stanford. And... He doesn't get a vote. And so Caleb Williams did it. It'll be interesting to see, you know, Marcus Mariota did it at Oregon. It'll be interesting to see if the brands of Oregon, the brand of USC, if those things really carry uh, a huge amount of weight. But to me, it's a three-person three it's a three -person race. It's just what order are they in at this point. I think that's why Friday is so big. It's going to be on a grand stage where people on the East Coast and in the South and in the, wherever they are, they can watch this game in the Pac-12. And if Bo Nix is the reason why Oregon wins, I don't know how you can't give it to him. Does Oregon game plan with that in mind is the question. Does Oregon look I past... I think they already were in the Civil War. Yeah, in the I Civil War. really we're, showing them yeah, off. Yeah, but they knew they could win the Civil War without, you know, let's just let's play it up here. Let's play up the bow input here.
Can they do that in a championship game, or are you playing with fire if you try to go, okay, we're not, we know we're going to win. Let's, let's dictate the way we win and how pretty it looks by game planning some stuff in here for Bo Nix. It gets, uh, there's a little bit of risk in that. Now, but if Oregon jumps out the way I think they will on Washington, the second half does become an opportunity to just showcase the guy and go, hey, let's, let's show everybody that he's not just throwing dump-off passes. The 5 at 5 is still ahead. Well, tomorrow, a fresh set of college football playoff rankings will be out. The final rankings before the final rankings, so to speak. Michigan over Ohio State. How far will the Buckeyes fall? What will happen in the SEC championship game? And it will, will that leave the door open for the Pac-12 champion on Friday to advance to the college football playoffs? So much to talk about this week, all week long, leading into Oregon, Washington on Friday in Las Vegas. Probably get a coach in the Oregon State coaching search as well. I would expect that at least in principle, Oregon State will be able to handshake and pending the approval of their trustees and some legal requirements that they have to go through. Probably have a coach in place before Friday's kickoff of that championship game. Anna's got the five at five. She's raring to go. Are you raring? Is it raring? Yeah, you're raring. Or rearing. Is it rearing or raring? Steven? I don't think it's rear. whatever you said, John. I don't think it's whatever you said. Raring to go. I don't think it's raring. Is it rearing to go or raring to go? If you're raring to go, you're full of enthusiasm and eagerness. Raring? Yeah. Raring? It's raring. Really? Yeah. I, I guess we shouldn't question the English Don't, major. The, yeah, come on. <laughs> the English lit major. <laughs> raring to start this segment. I, I yeah. just thought you were saying like rearing. I'm looking it you up. Were like Canadian. If you're raring to go, you're full of eagerness. You know. In okay. certain sections of <laughs> England, yeah, rear <laughs> is pronounced and spelled as rare. Okay. When a horse rears up on its hind legs, <laughs> you know. In those dialects, it can be acceptable. We're in America, though. But, but we're in the we're in the Pacific Northwest, where your horse rears, but your sports An- radio show host rears. All right, let's do it. The five at five. Five at five. Anna, I'm waiting for you to do the number thing. one. But you're not doing the thing. I was looking at something. All right, here we go. Number one. Okay, this is just further evidence that my appearance on a sports radio show is questionable at best because I told John in the commercial break, "Hey, the rankings are out," and he's like, "What rankings? The playoff ranking?" I was like, "No." The college football power rankings, which he explained, were something completely different. However, <laughs> I'm going to tell you what these are. Yeah, this is what CBS Sports yeah. Power. We rankings. made these up rankings while we were eating Doritos. <laughs> yeah, yes. go ahead. For what it's worth. Who's number one? Uh, well, I'm going to start at Oregon at number five, which moved okay. up to spot five. All right. Florida State moved up to four. Washington moved up to three. Follow and then Michigan's at two and Georgia at one. Interesting. Is it though? 
I don't know. This is where you have to chime in and tell yeah, me if well, it is. Yeah, well, here's the thing. The, the real rankings come out tomorrow, <laughs> okay. as I mentioned. Georgia will be one. They were one last week. The question becomes, Michigan, which was three, should move to two. Ohio State should be out of there. So it'll be it'll be Georgia, Michigan. The question is, what do they do at three? Is it Washington at three? Is it Oregon at three? I don't know what the – I think they'll put Washington at three. The question then becomes, do they put Oregon in front of Florida State? Is Oregon at four or five? Are we eliminating Ohio State a little too early? They've almost – they were. I mean, they had a final possession to beat Michigan on the road. Yeah. They've beaten some good teams this year. Their resume speaks very well. Now, on the field, I don't think they're that great. But they've won some games. Are we eliminating Where do you put them? Where do you put them, though? They have have a better resume than Oregon. Power rankings, they're down at eight. They dropped five spots. Wow, that's a long way. Texas and Alabama. That is a long way to drop a team that lost to what should be the number two or number three team in the country. Lost by four on the road to Michigan. It's kind of like Oregon's lost to Washington. Maybe they should be right behind Oregon. Really interested in that. Number two in I'm going to push the button. Mm. Number two. Nice. Uh, did you hear what happened to Shador Sanders? No. So he has a broken back. His brother, Dion Jr. Stepped on a crack. Don't joke about this. This is not good. He posted this Sunday night. He has a fracture in his back. Uh, he was the most sacked quarterback in major college football this season. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did miss the game on Saturday. The Buffaloes lost their season finale at Utah, 23-17. But uh, in addition to suffering arm and ankle injuries, he now has a back injury that's been revealed. That, that guy got sacked a million times. Got hit a million other times. Fifty-two times. Yeah, that that was. It wasn't a fun season for Shador. They didn't protect him. They, you know, and and I I will I'll blame his dad a little bit here. His dad walked through the door. What did I say prior to the season? Were they going to have the offensive and defensive linemen to compete? And everybody was pro Colorado was going. Yes, they got guys. He's bringing Louis Vuitton. He brought skill position guys, but. Colorado couldn't protect the quarterback. And if you can't do that and you can't run the ball, you're one-dimensional and your quarterback is a sitting duck. I hope he's okay. He's a good player. But he got beat up this year. Number three. I'm holding up the number three for anyone who can't see that. Uh, Frank Reich has a new distinction He's the first head coach to be fired in back-to-back seasons in NFL history. Just fired by the Carolina Panthers. Fired last year by the Colts. So, let's see where he ends up. Guy getting fired and you're celebrating it with the 5 at 5. I'm not celebrating it. Let's talk about, you know, here's the other interesting thing. When, when, When coaches get fired, usually there's an offset in their contracts. Yes. That if they get a job the next year, they don't make any additional money. That's just money that the team doesn't have to pay them. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of think the guy just loves to coach. He turns 62 next week. His offense produced 15 or fewer points five weeks in a row and seven times in 11 games. Is he quiet quitting? How about 62? 
How about in-season firing two seasons in a row? Being fired during the year? That, yeah. That's funny, man. That, that's, that's some good paychecks he's collected. The owner of the team was not happy. After the game the other night, um, the other day, he left the locker room shouting, yelled, walked by multiple reporters and dropped an F-bomb, and then said, you know, this isn't what I had in mind. He paid $2.2 billion for the team in 2018. Ooh. Since then, they're, they've gone 30 and 63. <laughs> in a period of growth. Number four. All right, Sports Illustrated, this is happening now. Uh, Uh, An article was published alleging that SI published AI-generated articles. Sports Illustrated is saying, according to their initial investigation, this isn't accurate. So the articles in question were product reviews. They were licensed content from an external third-party company, Advon Commerce. You see these kind of things in various uh, online publications. But Advan is saying that all of those articles were written and edited by humans. You guys, it's starting. Yeah, it's bad. It's a bad look. It's um, this futurism uh, sports reporting isn't going to work. It's not going to be the same as real sports writing. Um, you know, I know that you, you know, you, you probably could... L- Create, throw a box score into the AI-generated uh, algorithm, and you can have it come spit a game story back at you, but it's not going to be the same. I'm glad they're getting called on it. And I find it weird that a lot of reporters at Sports Illustrated are now tweeting, hey, you know, I really wrote my stories. You know, it's, there's a real... Uh... I did have a friend who's into AI who said they, could pro- they probably have enough of my voice and enough sample that they could put together a radio show with AI and fool people into thinking that it wasn't me. But I think you'd know. I think you would know. Am I giving myself too much credit (laughs) by saying I think people would know? Yeah, uh, I think people would know. Number five. Okay, let's finish with uh, the Pop-Tarts Bowl. It will feature the first edible mascot in sports history. That is my favorite story of the day. The winning team will have a chance to physically eat the mascot, which will be a Pop-Tart. I love it. Who doesn't love a Pop-Tart? Pop-Tarts, are good. they're not good for you, but they're good for you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Good for the good for your spirit. Do you good toast them or do you just eat them right out of the package? I go right Both. out of the package. I, I don't discriminate. <laughs> well, there you go. But once upon a time in a sports writing job very early in my career, Pop-Tarts were pretty much what I ate. Pop-Tarts and soda mm-hmm. wasn't good. Yeah. W- wasn't a good, wasn't a sustainable trajectory. <laughs> Back tomorrow with another great show. Great shows all week long, culminating on Friday with a championship game.